0: I've been sitting on this for almost a year, only because I really wanted to make sure that I could not find any explanation as to what my husband and I have experienced in our house. So far, neither one of us can. We moved into a new rental home back in September of last year with our two girls and, at the time, no pets. All of this takes place between then and February. The house is a duplex, so we do have a neighbor that we share a wall with. I'd have to say it was about two weeks into us living there when I first noticed something odd happening at night. I was in the bedroom, not quite asleep yet, and husband was up on the computer. I started to hear a faint knock inside what I assumed to be our oldest daughter's closet. Two of the bedrooms are on the same side of the house, with the third being a loft above all of which are against the wall we share with the neighbor. The head of our bed is against that wall, and so is the closet. The closet is in front of the house while our bedroom is in the back. Assuming it was just our neighbor, I didn't give the noise too much thought until I hear the knock again, this time a bit louder, and it's moved towards me. Sounds like it was coming from a wall in our bathroom. I'm now rolled over on my side to face the bathroom, but with my eyes still closed, the knock happens again. But this time, it's right by my face. I'll never forget it. I actually felt the wall tremble. It startled me and I shifted all the way to the other side of the bed to wait for it to happen again. No more knocks and no one else in the house seems to have heard it. So I grumpily blame the neighbor and go back to bed. A few weeks later, I'm lying in bed YouTubing in the dark, kids in bed, and husband is finishing out his night on the computer. I'm on my side facing our bathroom when I see, just above the edge of my phone, a gold sparkle. It looked like a lightning bug had gotten into the house, same sort of flicker and color. I put the phone down and look around in the dark waiting to see it again, but it was not seen again. I thought that it might be the headlights from a car driving by in an alley and go back to YouTube. Later that night, after everyone is in bed, I get startled awake by three loud knocks. I open my eyes but remain lying in bed to regain some composure. No one in the house seems to have heard it. No kids calling out, husband doesn't even twitch, nothing. So now I think I'm dealing with sleep paralysis and got the courage the next morning to ask husband if he's heard any weird noises. He says no, and I don't ask the kids because I don't want to spook them. This happens to me a few more times during the night, always after everyone is asleep, and I've been treating it like sleep paralysis until it happened during the day while I was awake. 7 a.m. Saturday morning, kids in the living room watching TV, husband is at work, I'm being lazy when knock, knock, knock. I freeze, thinking it might be the front door, but it really doesn't sound like it. Again, kids don't react at all. I jump out of bed, shut the bathroom door, and go into the living room to ask the girls if they heard anything. They did not, and I stay out of the room for the rest of the day. After that, I knew it wasn't sleep paralysis, and I'm trying to talk myself into believing this is either our neighbor, or the pipes in the walls, but I can't 100% convince myself of it. Pipes have their own distinct sound. Neighbors' muffled bumps and shuffles clearly sound like they are coming from the other side of the room, not from the same room and directly behind you. Bathroom door gets closed before I go to sleep now. I'm not really sure how much time goes by, but finally, my husband hears it. The knocks happen, but this time, it's on the wall above our heads. I felt him tense and whisper, You heard it. He nods, then gets out of bed to check the house. After finding nothing, we go back to sleep. Fast forward to something new. Same setup as usual in our house at night. I'm lying in bed browsing Reddit. Bathroom door open since I'm not yet ready to go to sleep. In the corner of the bathroom, this silver speck starts to glow. It grows, but doesn't keep its brightness. The only way I can describe it is to compare it to dough. The more you stretch it out, the thinner and more transparent it gets. The ball grows until it gets to the size of a basketball and dissipates. It floated there probably three to four feet off the ground and I'm in utter shock, absolutely speechless, cannot move. What the fuck did I just see? I wait for a few moments to be sure that it won't happen again, shut the bathroom door, and go into the living room to tell husband what I saw. I really don't like to tell him. It creeps him out more than it does me. After the story is finished, he said he saw something similar happen earlier over by the fireplace. We spend a while bouncing ideas off each other as to what could be causing it. Headlights in the alley, flashlight of someone walking down the alley, Neighbors' motion sensor lights getting tripped by tree branches, ball lightning, some sort of electrical problem, light source reflecting off the bathroom mirror and a mirror in the living room? We still have trouble rationalizing it. The last occurrence happened the very first night we welcomed our cat, Jack, into the family in February. I'm lying in bed and Jack comes running around the corner into the bathroom. Above him, on the wall, a small shadow darts in as well great. I shoo Jack out and shut the door. Part of me full of dread. Since I saw the shadow, that means I'm going to be startled awake by the knocks. We have literally had nothing in the house happen since February. No knocks, no sparkles, no glowing silver balls of light. The bathroom door always stays shut, and Jack always sleeps on the bed at our feet. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey.
1: And I'm Michael Tatum. And this
0: is Google Intentions.
1: Nice.
0: Ooh. Thank you, Elizabeth, for yes. that story. It was really fun to read.
1: Your reading of it was great. Thank I had you. chills. It was such good. a was splendid, dramatic reading.
0: Thank you. It was written well by Elizabeth. And she wants to know our take on it, what we think it is. Whatever it is, didn't, didn't want to be around Jack. Jack scared it off. I don't
1: know. I you know, it's weird. Sometimes hauntings or whatever can just kind of come and go. Like I had that experience when at the house I lived in for years, like ten years and I think every few years or something. It was like stuff would just pass through. Yeah. But didn't really stick around. Right. So we'd have like a few weeks or months of activity and then nothing for years. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not unusual, at least in my experience, to have hauntings that just kind of that are just random and localized right. and then never Never appear again.
0: Right. Yeah. But
1: I have no idea what it could have been. I
0: know. Like I, so I think the you knocking there, and, I, I, and the threes. The knocking and threes. Yes, and which, I, which is kind
1: about. of a that's a that's a, that's a common movie. thing. That's mm-hmm. a theme. And the, the 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 light, the the weird globe of light. Yeah, bro, that goes to the basketball
0: size, which yeah, is very similar to some of the stuff we very talked similar, about. in similar. So I don't know. I don't that know. It is so cool. It was I mean, I'm glad it's not happening anymore.
1: Yeah. But, but man, I'd give anything it anything to know what it was. And I love,
0: though, that they tried to come up with other things to explain it away, you know?
1: Right. And just going, didn't
0: just settle on it. Like, oh, yeah, it's obviously just a light bouncing off of the light. Bouncing it's, off a mirror. It's, clearly, it's Venus. It.
1: Right, yeah. It's swamp gas. It's Yeah. It's a weather <laughs> and, balloon. And it annoys, it annoys yeah. me so much when someone who wasn't there is like, let me tell you what you saw. Right. Right. Hmm. <laughs> But uh let me mansplain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let
0: me make you rage unnecessarily. How about that? Mm. Uh so you
1: know you're raging because of hormone slap. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh don't give me something to rage about. How about
1: that? How about it? For being smart, you sure are dumb, mister. Yeah. Right. Uh, Oof. Yeah. Uh, so I don't I don't know. I've never I can't think of a time in my life where I've experienced a light. I don't. When I've seen lights, it's always been like shimmerings or something like that. I've never seen an orb that I that I can remember.
0: Um,
1: I'm not really big on belief in orbs and photographs and stuff. I I think that yeah, they, they don't Im- be, they don't impress me. It and, has
0: to be. It don't impress me much. <laughs>
1: Uh, <laughs> but uh, if I saw an orb like actually floating you know in the bathroom yeah. or something I'd be like okay that's that's different. that's different
0: if there's an orb in a picture that like is halfway behind a chair or is casting its own shadow yeah then I'm more likely to be like well if it clearly has a like
1: depth that
0: but otherwise I'm like that's a bug or that room's just real fucking dusty
1: yeah exactly it always just looks like dust
0: it makes me want to sneeze the camera.
1: there's a there's a great example of and it was uh, this is a quick little personal story there was a a surveillance footage from a gas station. This is, God, it must be 15 years ago now. Um, you can find it on YouTube, I'm sure, but it looks like this blue ghost just kind of okay. hanging out near one of the gas pumps. And it's very uh, I know what you're talking about. vague and um, shimmering, and it's clearly blue. It's got a blue tint, and it just looks like this vaguely humanoid-shaped like cloud that's just kind of darting around over near this pump. And because the surveillance camera's up at an angle, like on one of the eaves of the building. And um, so it was making all the rounds for like a couple of years. People were like, yeah, this is proof that it's a guy. And and I have to admit, when I saw it, I'm like, that's a pretty spooky fucking piece of footage. I have no idea what that could be. Yeah. And then someone found like, it's a bug on the lens. Uh that's just out of focus because it's so, close, it's so close and it's blue because it's right under a blue neon sign. that's right. advertising. It was some like a beard spiderweb or, something or something like something it. Even. It was a, uh, I, I, I think it was one. a locust. I think okay. it was like a locust or a grasshopper, like just crawling around, okay. but they're so close to the lens that it just looks like a blob
0: Yeah.
1: and, uh, and it's blue because of the light above it. And, you know, if you hadn't, if someone didn't think of that like option, you'd immediately think, well, that's gotta be, cause you know, you see cameras, there's a lot of, First perspective can make you think t- you see a lot of things that you don't right. see. Combine that with a pareidolia, whatever Parad- paradoilia No,
0: pareidolia. You say doily. Doily paradoilies. That's how you say it. Paradoilies, yeah. That's paradolies. how doilies. That's how uh, Michael told the girls to remember. Yeah, it's a peroilies. So they <laughs> paradolia. know paradolia, but then we're always like it's parado and they're like Paradolia.
1: Like, yeah,
0: okay. they're correct. But it's I mean, it was good for them to learn that so that if they get scared, yeah, and they think Think they see something? They're like, it's just my mind seeing patterns. It's pareidolia. It's pareidolia. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's helped them quite a bit, you know. With, with But the mind something.
1: wants to make sense of stuff, and so it'll mm-hmm. see something if, unless. But so a now, ever since that little debunking thing, when I see a, a piece of footage like that, I always ask myself, okay, can it be something on the lens it's just like a little bug that's so close that it it just looks like a blob, right. and it or you know, whatever or, or dust yeah. or something. So it it's pretty rare for like orb, all of which is to say orbs don't impress me when they're caught on camera but don't impress
0: me much. if
1: I see them in the corner of a room I'm like the fuck is that? Yeah and I haven't had that happen. I haven't seen an orb myself. No, not in person. Um yeah but yeah. I don't know. I have no idea what that could be. If it was I'd like to know if it was some kind of electrical problem. What the fuck electrical like what yeah. how does that work? How does it stretch if it's out ball like lightning dew? how does ball lightning happen in the in the bathroom? Is that possible? I don't know.
0: Does it stretch out um, like dough?
1: Yeah, I that's don't know. such
0: a good description too. Oh it's my a god, it looks like, like the best yeah. description. Like... I don't know. So so I don't thank know. It could be a story. ghost.
1: It could have been some optical illusion that that oh, was just. I mean, who fucking knows? But that was fucking weird. Was and like... coupled with the knocks, it's pretty compelling Ooh. that there's more going on there than just like, oh, you're imagining stuff. You're clearly not imagining stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. yeah. Weird. Good story. So good. good. Story.
0: So good. So you get to start this week.
1: I do because I'm gonna finish my my thing about H.H. Holmes, which. Uh, I wanted to do in two parts because his story is so fucking complicated.
0: That H.H. Holmes, he's the worst, I tell you. The worst. He
1: was a son of a bitch. (laughs) Like, he was fucking garbage. Uh, So I'm not... Okay, so just to remind everyone, my sources for the story come from uh, the book Depraved by Harold Tretcher, uh, Devil in the White City by Eric Larson, which is probably my, one of my favorite true yeah. crime books, um, and the more recently published H.H. Holmes, The True Story of the White City Devil by Adam Seltzer. Uh, also, a lot of the information comes from uh, last podcast on the left. I mm-hmm. listen to them. I fucking love them. If, yep. if you like funny shit, that's also really gruesome because they cover a lot of true crime and a, a few paranormal stuff uh and ufos and things like that they're really funny but they they did a really great uh three parter on this a couple of years ago and uh so that's where this comes from and my man they do so much research i love i love it because then i don't have to do anything (laughs) (laughs) um so where were we with holmes we talked about you know uh, how he'd come to chicago and uh into inglewood and and in a couple of years before the world's fair yeah (laughs) Yeah, different Englewood.
0: I can't help Uh, it. When I hear certain cities, I I have to stop them.
1: (laughs) Different Englewood, but... but,
0: The 90s was very powerful, you guys.
1: (laughs) So true. (laughs) The 90s were a strong decade.
0: Speaking of the 90s, when does this happen again?
1: This was in the uh, this was in the, the years of the World Fair around the World Fair. This was late late eighteen hundreds. was eighteen eighty eight to about eighteen ninety four. So
0: eighteen nineties. Um, so still this was the, he very was pretty powerful. he was mostly
1: active during the the nineties. Okay. So yeah, about a hundred years before we were coming active. of age. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I
0: was so active in the nineties. I did so many things. Now so it's like I don't want to
1: leave. So a quick recap. He'd come. <laughs> he'd come to Chicago. Uh after uh trying to de- like he tried he'd married this girl named Clara, who he beat mercilessly and she got away from him and was one of the few women to survive having a relationship with him. Right. Then he decided he'd you know he'd set up shop uh somewhere and then accidentally poison accidentally, quotes, um poisoned someone, fled to Philadelphia mm-hmm. or in Philadelphia, fled Philadelphia for Chicago, Inglewood. Uh, and decided to, like, work in a drugstore. Then he bought the drugstore mm-hmm. from the widow of the guy that owned it. She, he didn't pay her. She complained, uh, sued him. She she disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he sold the pharmacy, and then built started building this building across the street when that, that also was, had a pharmacy. That also had a much better pharmacy, a much bigger one, like a proper drugstore. Like yes. so, drugstores back in the day, for people that don't know, um, they were like they were like the the equivalent of the modern day department store. Mm-hmm. So they were called pharmacies because that's where you went to get specially like concoctions and stuff made. But you could buy jewelry there, clothes, food, parfum. you know, perfume, all sorts of stuff. So they were really high end. Uh, ritzy places. Mm-hmm. They're also frequently where you can go to, like, sit down and get a coffee or a tea or a soda.
0: Why don't um, we have those? That sounds amazing.
1: I know, right? I right. don't know. Everyone's kind like, of, like, Give me a Nordstrom specialize. with
0: drugs? Yes, please. Oh, my God. That'd be awesome.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> just without the murder, please.
0: Right. Sans so, murder. So,
1: we had this pharmacy built. Uh, in the in the on the ground floor of mm-hmm. this building that was three stories tall, the, hotel. the, the hotel. Well, yeah. it was going to become a hotel. Eventually, became a hotel, and then he used this hotel to murder people, including uh, and including- it was
0: the murder mansion, murder castle, murder... They called it the
1: castle. The murder castle. It's called the castle. I don't think he did... I don't believe he called it the castle. It was. It just got that name because it had kind of a gothic look to it. I mean, okay. if you see pictures of it, it doesn't really look like a castle. It mm-hmm. just looks like a normal, you know, building for the time period. But it's, I mean, opulent for its time. And important to note that he was the only one That knew the whole layout of it because he would hire and fire contractors, like over 500 of them over the course of uh, the several years it took to build this thing so that he was the only one that knew all the layouts. And this place was like outfitted with a, a lab slash seller slash crematory um where he was it like, had oh, a dungeon it had a, it had a fucking mad scientist laboratory Hence dungeon the castle. Um <laughs> the rooms were uh, some of the rooms were airtight and he had a, he had the bank safe that was built into that he
0: murdered two women he and at were, least two
1: women at least two women who he had had romance with and one of them I which he'd married um like he was a awful guy all around awful the, guy so
0: the worst
1: the worst <laughs> and this was all kind of and this wasn't even during the World Fair. This the hotel was active. Um, the building itself was active before the World's Fair because everyone was like, "Oh yeah, build now!" Because the, when the World Fair comes, it's gonna fucking there's pop, people are gonna just come. Chicago's gonna be the place. Right. So and it already was um, getting there. So where we left off. So let's talk for a little bit about like this is this is how much of a supervillain this guy was. So. Um, While he was constructing the castle, Holmes is said to have casually offered a contractor $50 to drop a brick on the head of a man they were looking at from an upper floor that he claimed was his brother-in-law. Now, which (laughs) brother-in-law? Because he had several, uh, apparently. And the contractor refused and was fired, of course, and told his story to police years later after Holmes was arrested. But whether or not the story is true, it certainly does seem that Holmes was in the market for a henchman at the time. Now... Um, it's not known that he was even talking about his actual any of his actual brother. Mind you, he was a bigamist. He was already married to two women mm-hmm. because Clara, he'd never divorced. He tried to divorce her. And when he tried to sue her, because you had to sue for divorce and you couldn't just file and be like, whatever, it was really hard. And he tried to prove that she was unfaithful. And the judge was like, nope, threw it out. And so yeah. he's like, fuck, I'm still, well, fuck it. She's off in Colorado or wherever. And so, or Minneapolis, I think. And so I'm just going to marry another. So he married Myrna Myrta, uh, Myrta Belknap and then killed her and then whatever. So he was a bigamist and oh my God, this guy, and he was still, and he would romance women on the side. I mean, he just couldn't fucking, and he would get bored with them. He'd get bored with them Im- and immediately and often and he'd just be like, well, I'll just kill them. That's the easiest way. Huh. Um, I mean, talk about, I mean, there's ghosting and then there's making people ghosts. <laughs> <I> just don't <laughs> right. understand. Um, so uh, who he was talking about to the contractor? Like it's not even known if that's actually his brother-in-law. That was just he wanted to see if this guy would kill would someone do, for him. Do it. So yeah. it just could be some innocent fucking bystanders just walking around. So who knows?
0: You know but, that some like stupid ass hole somewhere is like, well, this is obviously his first wife's fault because had she given him the divorce, he never would have felt the need to continue to kill, continue, his to kill because or to kill oh, the women yeah. his wives because she made it so difficult for him. So it's obviously her fault. You know, I know some it's ass always assholes. women's
1: fault because women uh. have all the power. Everyone mm-hmm. knows that even back in, you always know, even back in the 1880s, 1890s, man, yeah. women just ran this country into the ground. Am I right guys? What? Whatever. Holmes is a great example of what happens when you give like bras money. Yeah. Um, Except he didn't pay for anything. He was such a fucking cheat. Like we'll get to that because that's ultimately what brought him down. He only got caught for murder because he was arrested for fraud. Right. It was only because like the it's authorities, very the him. authorities got well, the authorities <laughs> got interested in his doing, in his in what he was going on. Um, because he was he owed money to corporations. That's the only reason mm. the Pinkertons got involved. And once the um. Pinkertons were involved, that was fucking it for Holmes, but we'll get there. Um, so he was looking for a henchman, around this time when the castle was being built. Uh, enter a gentleman by the name of Benjamin Peitzel, Now, uh, Benjamin Peitzel was this tall, kind of attractive looking. If you look pictures of him, like, okay, all right, I'd hit that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he was alcoholic. He was an alcoholic carpenter who had a wife, several kids, um, six, I think, and a mile long rap sheet. I mean, this guy got in trouble with the law for petty petty larceny and like vagrancy shit like that all the time. So Holmes... um, Hired him and and had him around, but he was one of the few contractors he didn't fire. He kept him around and was like, "You're gonna help me do these little side hustles, these little scams." Because I mean, Holmes had so many fucking con games running at once—not just killing women. That was that was his passion, <laughs> but <laughs> his his business was just fleecing people from money from you right. know uh, out of money. And so Pitzel helped him a lot. So one of their one of the first scams they tried to do together was there was this guy named Leslie Kelly. Uh, Keely, excuse me, Leslie Keely, uh, who was touting this miracle cure for alcoholism, which was this noxious gold-infused drink uh, dubbed the Barber Pole for its thick red, white, and blue foamy layers. Now Holmes enrolled the perpetually inebriated Peitzel into Keely's rehab program for a twofold purpose. One, to sober his associate up. Uh, hoping to anyway and then to and also to steal Keeley's recipe so we could sell it for himself at the nice, pharmacy nice. and this was very typical of Holmes who at any given time was juggling at least a dozen plots to game the system uh, for all his sinister cunning though Holmes was every bit as subject to the flummery of his fellow conmen as his own marks were to his peitzel returned empty-handed uncured about of his addiction and none the wiserest Kelly's ingredients. He did report, however, that in Kelly's employ was a woman of singular beauty, a woman named uh, Emmeline Segrant. Now, we talked about Emmeline. Um, yeah. Sorry. Emmeline was the woman that uh, that died in the safe that, that left her footprint on there, right? But this is how Benjamin right. Peitzel, yeah, one of the more tragic because there's, no, oh, it's just terrible to think of her like suffocating <laughs> She's so in there. pretty.
0: Put her in a... Safe and suffocator.
1: Well, I mean, he Holmes struck up a correspondence with Emma uh offering offered her a job as his personal secretary. She was charmed by this because he was very charming and an attractive guy. It was the mustache. The mustache just mustache. women were like that mustache. Oh my goodness! I just picture him walking around like underneath his waistcoat, his opulent waistcoat and ascot is like a a t-shirt that just says mustache rides free yeah um yeah definitely just being like mustache rides and they're free (laughs) (laughs) how can i
0: say no i'm so offended
1: (laughs) so uh the pair struck up a romance as we know when the magic was gone holmes grew inevitably bored as he always did with his women uh he made up his mind to kill her now what i didn't talk about Last week, because we kind of ended with Emmeline to Grant, um, the ruse adopted to get away with it was especially cruel. Holmes proposed to her. When she gleefully accepted, he instructed her to write out a slew of wedding invitations to friends and family, insisting she referred to him in writing as Howard. Now, his excuse was that he was heir to a wealthy British uncle, not long for this world, whose fortune would only be paid out to him on condition that Holmes changed his name to Howard. Um, Emmeline didn't see the problem with it and told all her friends that she was getting married to this guy named Howard. Now, uh, he had her write all this out on just like stationery and told her like, don't worry, we'll send out proper printed uh you know invitations since we get a date but right now i just want you to write your family and let them know that this is going to happen because they'll, they'll be delighted and they were now after her gruesome demise uh which you'll recall left a footprint on the inside of the door to his airtight bank safe holmes had official wedding announcements printed up and mailed them to emmeline's uh, uh, family elaborating on the howard ruse by including a different last name mm-hmm. thus he could wave off suspicion by simply pointing out that he wasn't the man she'd been referring to Emmeline's family assumed she'd simply died on honeymoon in Europe with whoever this Howard guy was. Tragic, but such were the times. They were like, that sucks, but they didn't have the money to try to go find her. Right. Now from May 1st to October 30th, 1893, the World's Fair drew over 27 million people, most of them out-of-towners. Now men in search of lodgings were frequently turned away from the castle, whereas there was always vacancies for the women folk. We'll never know how many met their doom inside Holmes' satanic funhouse, but at the world's fair, at the height of the world's fair, his reign of terror in Chicago was actually drawing to a close. Um, His side hustles were becoming increasingly transparent. Holmes was running so many confidence games at once, he was losing track and losing his edge. Creditors to whom he owed substantial amounts of money Uh, remember he seldom paid for anything you remember the safe where he bought the safe from the bank uh from the manufacturer rather and never paid for it but had it built into his wall and when they came to claim it they were like he's like if you remove it i'm gonna sue you for damages and they were like fuck the damn it would cost more (laughs) so they just let him have it and like fuck this guy but these people these these uh companies started comparing notes and being like oh this holmes guy yeah is he fucking you over too and so they started kind of they consolidated and they were starting to close the net. Right. And Holmes began feeling the heat. Now, um, before leaving town altogether, Holmes couldn't resist giving matrimonial homicide another whirl. Uh, <sighs> Minnie Williams was a failed actress from Boston and heir along with her an heir rather along with her sister Nanny to a sizable Texas oil fortune worth about 3.5 million by modern day reckoning.
0: Oh, that's a lot. Um that's a but, lot. I mean, such as Texas and oil. Yeah,
1: and especially all that then. House.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, now, by all accounts, the homeliest of Holmes's ill-fated conquests, Minnie was also not the sharpest tool in the shed. Clearly, Nanny was the brains of the Williams sisters' outfit. Now, Holmes's ego wasn't quite blown up enough to make him think he had a shot at the Williams fortune, but Minnie did own a valuable plot of land in Fort Worth, Texas, where mm-hmm. Holmes set his sights on building another murder castle, only oh. on a much grander scale. Now, he courted many chiefly by appealing to the headstrong and protective nanny, who knew all too well her sister's propensity for being taken in by good-looking men. Ever the debonair gentleman Holmes charmed the Williams sisters on nightly strolls through the world's fairgrounds for a week before at last dispatching them one after the other in his bank safe, though not before securing the deed to the property in Fort Worth. Wow. The weird detail, uh, Holmes gifted their clothing to Benjamin Peitzel's wife, Carrie. Wow. um, Claiming that the boon came from a cousin who'd had to jettison her belongings because she was skipping town, and, you know, Carrie was like, thanks? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that Carrie ever really liked Holmes, but he took care of the Peitzels because Benjamin was such a fuck-up. Right. Uh, and so we'll see that, like, constantly, he was... She was kind of reluctantly in on these schemes because she didn't know that he was a murderer. She just thought he was a con man. And she was like, well, I mean, you know, Peitzel's still in trouble with the law anyway. Like, what chances he got, whatever. So I think she was kind of a... And she also, they also had fucking six kids. Right. So she's too fucking busy. And just, like, please, okay, just keep him out of trouble. <laughs> so, uh... In uh, 1893, shortly before leaving Chicago, Holmes hatched an insurance scheme echoing his days in medical school. Now, I remember he had this scheme where they would steal cadavers. He and a buddy would take out insurance policies on each other, find a cadaver.
0: Pretend it was them. Pretend it was
1: them, make the money, whatever. Now the plan in this case was to take out a $10,000 life insurance policy on Benjamin Peitzel, pay off the premiums long enough for the policy to appear above board, locate a cadaver, stage a phony death that would leave the body so disfigured identification would be impossible, claim it was Peitzel, then split the proceeds. The scheme required time to come off properly while they let it mature into what promised to be a glorious payout worth about 250K today. Wow. The two men went about their usual uh, you know, slew of side hustles. Peitzel, alas, drunk and disorderly as he was, could seldom keep track of when the premiums were due, let alone scrape up the money to pay them. Holmes sent him the needed funds, but Peitzel would invariably uh, blow it on booze, More than once, Holmes had to rush in at the 11th hour and make a payment minutes before the policy would be rendered null and void. This Mm. happened enough times that this detail would come back to haunt him when he was finally arrested. Uh, Because they're like, why the fuck were you paying for this guy's insurance, whatever. And and all these little things he had to do to maintain these hustles eventually all came together, but it took forever. His Because the people
0: that agreed to do it were not reliable with it human beings.
1: Well, and I suppose Holmes thought, well, that's the best person to involve because who's mm-hmm. going to believe them? Because they're fuck-ups, there's they're drunks, they're they're criminals, whatever. But then they're
0: also fuck-ups.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's, you know,
0: not everyone is the a devil's in the details. Um, sociopath. Mm-hmm
1: now uh the point being that his loyal henchman was becoming a liability now holmes and peitzel moved down to texas for a spell after leaving chicago to avoid creditors along with holmes's uh, latest wife a woman named uh georgiana yoke who he married in uh, um um where did he marry her hang on let me look that up real quick because i had it written down and not in here denver they met in Denver fuck he got around um like the the amount of travel that was possible at the time by train if you had any money it was insanely you know so he met her married her and this was like she would survive him though she was one of the other like one of the only other women that would survive because this was right at the end of his reign and he was traveling so much to avoid authorities that she wasn't around as much he would leave her in places and come back and collect her weeks later it was yeah it's oh fucking crazy um so so well out of striking distance of Chicago debt collectors, homes began construction on his Fort Worth murder castle at the corner of Commerce and Second Street. What? Exactly as he'd done in Inglewood.
0: Corn- Commerce um, and Second Street? Mm-hmm. Isn't that like, that's like right in the middle.
1: That's right there. It's like basically Sundance Square. Like, yeah. Yeah.
0: Sunday, which yeah. is wicked fucking haunted. But also yeah. lovely. Imagine,
1: imagine how much more haunted it would be. <laughs>
0: in, the though, in the daytime though, it is lovely it's a it's gorgeous a place i area. love
1: downtown fort worth
0: it's so yeah it's so it's nice. very
1: texas too like yeah. i love dallas but dallas doesn't really feel texas mm-hmm. to me i it mean just feels like it just feels like a really cool city and yeah. there's a lot to do but there's nothing really about it that speaks texas but fort worth is te- te- a <laughs> fucking yeah. cow town um but it's like a it's very it's a metropolitan cow town it's, it's yeah it's, hard it's to very describe. artistic
0: though as well yeah it's like the artsy Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. artsy, but it's, yeah, it's kind of art meets killing cattle. (laughs) Um, So they were out, so he starts building this castle uh, or making plans to build right around Commerce and 2nd Street, which is just a hop, skip, and a jump from here, and um, doing the same thing, like collecting, you know, buying shit on credit and then never paying it. So that didn't fly in Texas, though, and he might have gotten away with it, but here's, he and Pitzel, and this is the thing, psychopaths get bored. They get bored mm-hmm. with their romance. They get bored with their friends. They and that's get bored why with their they associates. They
0: addicts. They usually are mm-hmm. addicts, addicted to something. He obviously is addicted to murder and mayhem. But well, he's
1: addicted to the thrill of committing thrill. crimes yes. and getting away with it. So
0: that's why you'll find a lot of sociopaths are alcoholics, drug addicts, uh-huh. sex addicts, yes. things like that. Yes. Because they they'll do anything, anything for something to be exciting. Just
1: yeah, because they don't they don't you know I guess the the, the thinking is they don't feel fear the way most people do. They and don't
0: feel emotions. They really. don't
1: feel emotion generally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's very strange. So he and Peitzel, like just for the sheer thrill of it, decided to try their hand at horse thieving in Texas.
0: That's not where it's a
1: capital offense. Right,
0: that's not a good idea.
1: And they got caught. It's <laughs> <That's
0: laughs> and... like, why don't you try stealing guns from personal homes in Texas? Yes. Yeah,
1: that's, yeah. That's why, don't you, terrible. why don't you try stealing a police car? From a policeman, right? um It's what <laughs> the fuck while what, he's what, in it. While while he's in it with okay. his partner and, and their, their dog. <laughs> 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 but that was the kind of shit that Holmes and Peitzel were like. Let's let's drive, It's fine. Let's just do it. It's like if we're in Texas. Right. Let's do the one because the outcome let's doesn't do the matter.
0: The outcome doesn't, doesn't matter. They it's want to get away with room. it. And so
1: uh-huh. they before they could be before they could be arrested, though they they had to skip town. Right. So there goes his plans to to fucking build this castle. So all he could do.
0: Well, thank God for that. Stupid ideas got him out of Texas. (laughs) So
1: they were caught red-handed in their first attempt at horse thievery uh, and wound up having to make a beeline for St. Louis, Missouri. Now, the dapper criminal didn't fare much better. There, authorities saw right through his usual trick of buying pharmaceuticals. Well, there it went. (laughs) All right. Let me start that sentence again. (laughs) Sure. Authorities saw right through his usual trick of buying pharmaceuticals on credit and reselling them under an assumed name. And of course, when people would come to collect, um, he'd be like, I didn't I didn't buy that. That was, you know, that was H.H. H. Holmes. Or whatever <laughs> <laughs> that it.
0: was J.J. Um, Holmes.
1: But, you know, I totally guess different. in, in St. Louis, they just they were like, "Nah, fuck you, dude. So they they threw him in prison for a little while. Um, he found himself, he got arrested for the first time in his career as a criminal. Really? And as long as, by now, he's like 33, 34. Mm-hmm. And he, this is the first time he's ever been fucking arrested. So he is like, woo! <laughs> <laughs> they throw him in a cell with a guy named Marion Hedgepith, who's the notorious, handsome bandit. He was one of the last, like, great outlaws right. of the Old West, like, of the, uh, the sort of dying Old West. So, um... Holmes was fascinated by this guy knew all about him and was like oh you're you're kind of a celebrity and in, in our chosen field of outlawlessness <laughs> 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 or whatever whatever of criminality whatever and you know you're a fellow badass and so he was like kind of telling Marion about this so he thought he really wanted he seemed to really want to impress this outlaw but the two men couldn't have been more opposite in temperament like Holmes was very dapper and he was um, the guys on last podcast on the left compare Holmes to like the penguin because <laughs> <laughs> he's got like all these gadgets and he's got the dapper look and he's very well-spoken and, and um, you know, he's like a, an attractive penguin, I guess, where, but Hedgepeth was like Billy the Kid. Like he was a fucking gun toting train boy. robbing. He wound up getting shot and killed at a, uh, trying to hold up a gas station in 1909. Wow. Like that's an old gas station. Yeah. Um. Like that was sounds like it was one of the first, and he was like, right. "I'm gonna hold it up.
0: Yeah. See how this goes." It's, <laughs>
1: new. it's a new business. So <laughs> okay, that's different. So he's it. trying. So, but but he was really famous, and mm-hmm. of course, no one knows how good a criminal Holmes is because he's gotten away with it for so long right. that he's you know I imagine he's sitting in the cell with this with this guy, the handsome bandit, going, you know, people, you know, I, he needed to impress him, so he told him about this insurance scheme he'd been cooking up involving Benjamin Peitzel uh, Mm -hmm. and that they were letting the policy mature. And he was like, I will let you in on it to the tune of $500. If you can put me in touch with a local lawyer here that would be willing to kind of be our fence to broker the deal, He needs to be corrupt. So clearly anyone, you know that you can, so he, Marion was like, all right, sounds good. (laughs) I can use 500 when I get out of here. Right. So, um, he led uh, 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 Hedgepath. Let's see. We got five hundred. Was was promised five hundred dollars for putting him in touch with this lawyer. This lawyer's name was Jethpa How. The fucking names on these people. Jethpa. I, there's a name I want to come back. Jethpa. G E P T H A. Um, now Jethba, Jethba was real enthusiastic. He was like, the cadaver angle is fucking brilliant. I'm all in. <laughs> He's I like, who it. would say love? It's perfect. That gets foolproof. <laughs> and so, um, now, it
0: didn't work for you before, but so he it's was in surely a... so, going to work now.
1: So once Holmes made bail, and he did pretty quickly, um, you know, this, this, uh, Jethba Ho, uh, Jethba, Jethba Ho, this Jethba Howe guy- Like been over backwards to take part in it. He was like, "Let's do it, let's do it, let's do it." And he would later back out because he was like, oh, no, no. The authorities are sniffing around. (laughs) Fuck that. No, bye." Now it's Um, getting
0: weird. So
1: now mind. Now remember, the scheme was for well, I'll get to that. Okay, so Peitzel had meanwhile moved his wife and children to St. Louis with them uh, while waiting for the insurance scam to mature. Now Holmes uh, set him up as a patent clerk slash kind of amateur inventor. The plan was to arrange an explosion in Peitzel's workplace in St. Louis or wherever while Peitzel was secretly out of the country and a fresh cadaver was in his place where the explosion was to be. Now before uh, setting out to catch his boat overseas, Peitzel told his children not to believe reports of his death. His wife, Carrie, of course, was in on the whole scam and coached the children to play along when the day came. Of course, they didn't have a day set. They didn't know. It could be weeks, could be months. It just depended on, you know, when they could get all the shit together to make this look right. Two months after leaving St. Louis, a body burned beyond all recognition and reported to be Peitzel's turned up in a rented patent office in Philadelphia. The bedraggled would-be inventor who'd uh, been tantalizing neighbors with talk of a new self-propelled saw he was in the process of perfecting had apparently lit his pipe too close to a vat of volatile chemicals. Despite his last words to them, Benjamin Peitzel's children actually thought he was dead. He was drunk, after all, prone to saying all kinds of crazy shit all the time. The command to ignore reports of his demise was, they assumed, just one more cockamamie off-the-cuff remark in a long line of booze-fueled bullshit. His wife, Carrie, however, took comfort knowing her man was across the ocean living it up in London, uh, but let the children mourn, thinking that it would help sell the scam to insurance adjusters right. if people started asking questions. So she just kind of like, eh, I'll just let them And When they reunite with them in a few months time and we catch a boat to wherever, the idea was to, to for him to come back to, into Canada and they would meet him there. And then she'd be like, surprise kids! Like that doesn't fuck your kids up at all. The only problem was that uh, the kids were right. It was Peitzel's body. Uh-huh. Um Tired of Peitzel's drunkenness and yeah. worried that the faithful henchman would blab to the wrong person about their many misdeeds, Holmes forewent the cadaver and simply cut out the middleman by using Peitzel himself, knocking him out with chloroform and staging the explosion around his unconscious body. The next day, I Holmes...
0: would be surprised, though, if it was just like, it actually happened that way and he he accidentally killed killed himself. You know what I mean? The way as well, Holmes had, as
1: Holmes had some things to say about it when oh, it okay. came to light. Right. It, uh, don't we're not done. Okay, don't worry. Good. This this was the beginning of his undoing.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, also, but also the beginning of of his worst crime spree mm-hmm. uh, as a murderer. Like the next oh, day, it's, wor-
0: it's not even it gets bad worse. Yet. Like the murder okay.
1: castle is just the icing on the cake. Okay. It's what he's most known for. But like what he's going to do in the next few months is so much before he's finally caught is Jesus. is awful. Okay. Um so the next day after the body was found Holmes caught a train to St. Louis where he collected peitzel's oldest daughter, Alice, uh, and brought her back to Philadelphia to identify her father's body. Now, um, In his mind, and and he convinced the family of this, Alice was more optimal than Carrie, the wife, because Alice thought her father was actually dead, so her reaction would would read better. (laughs) So, I mean, he was an actor, as we thought about. Now, so naturally, there was more to it than that. With Peitzel really dead, there was no point giving his brood a cut, in mm-hmm. fact, that had never been the intention. Carting the what? eldest daughter to Philadelphia it was just the first stage of a long, drawn-out process whereby Holmes intended to make a clean break and murder his deceased colleague's entire family. Shit,
0: that's so. Seven more people.
1: Seven more people, okay. children. Yeah, and a, a wife and children. After Alice positively ID'd Peitzel's body, Holmes went back to St. Louis, uh, left alice in philadelphia and warned the widow carrie that suspicious insurance adjusters were beginning to ask questions what needed to be done for safety's sake he said was for him to take two more kids off her hands (laughs) very simple he's like because if they come around they're looking for a family of like they're looking for six kids Mm -hmm. so if you've only got three or two whatever then who are you they don't whatever he's like so give the kids to me I'll take him on a trip and we're all eventually going to meet up in Toronto. I'm arranging for Benjamin to help a boat from London where he's been laying low. He's going to come back and we're all going to meet up in Toronto together, but we're going to, I'm going to kind of take you. So he, he got these two, he's got, he got three more of the children, uh, two more of the children. So with Alice uh, and then two of the other children, he had three with him and then he would come back and get her and send her on a certain way. Like he was juggling this, this, all this trip to the Midwest and upper parts of Canada for months, basically to throw people off the trail while yeah. he was getting them separated slowly and surely. Mm-hmm. And it was so, so for the next a uh, few months, Holmes schlepped Howard, uh, the youngest, Nellie and Alice, the three children, uh, across the Midwest, checking into hotels under assumed names, sometimes claiming to be their father, sometimes claiming to be their uncle, always giving hotel staff a different story, not because he couldn't keep things straight, but to breed confusion and obscure their trail. Now, one thing that did give him away is he always was dressed to the nines because he was H.H. Holmes. He's like, motherfucking H.H. The narcissist
0: in him could Yeah, but the kids
1: look like shit. The kids look like You know, the kids were dirty, their clothes were threadbare. I mean, they were a poor family, and he made no effort to, you know, help them. In fact, at one point, when the weather started turning a little cold and they needed coats, he was like, "Eh, I could buy you coats, but, or I could just kill you. Um, (laughs) Like, it literally got to that point. So, now at the same time that he was moving all this around, he was moving back and forth, escorting Carrie, the wife, uh, Carrie uh, Peitzel's widow. Um, into Toronto, and uh, kind of in this roundabout way, where he said he arranged for her and the kids to reunite with each other and with Peitzel. At one point, he had Carrie staying at a hotel in Detroit, mere blocks from where he was keeping the children, completely unbeknownst to her. Also, completely unbeknownst to his other wife, Georgiana, who was staying in a hotel just a few blocks from
0: there. Oh my god! This is
1: how much he was doing. So, like, because he was keeping up appearances uh, with his with his latest wife. Whom he had believing they were on a kind of staggered honeymoon. Like, okay, we're gonna go. Where he's like, the end goal is we're, I'm gonna take you to Niagara Falls, but uh-huh. in the process, let's. Push but I have to. Over but I have to do. Falls. He probably would have, right? He if he'd made it, he would have probably. Yeah. But his, he told Georgiana like, we're gonna we're gonna go to Niagara Falls, but in the meanwhile, let's take the let's take a kind of scenic route because I need I have this business I'm running called ABC Copier. <laughs> it's supposed to be like the first copy machine. <laughs> <Which> I <laughs> imagine was like I can't even imagine. It's like it's really just filled with knives. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a murder machine he's like it copies it out. oh the reds come out so well
0: right. it copies um, murder
1: <laughs> but he so he told his wife Georgiana he's like cool so we'll you know what I'll do is I'll leave you and with some money to go tour around these cities for a day or two while i go and do business mm-hmm. and then event you know we'll hang out we'll do dinner or whatever and then we'll be so he would t- take her to a nice hotel wine and dine her leave her alone for a day or two be like okay, i've got to go away on business i'll come back and get you on tuesday and then we'll go to the next city en route to niagara falls and what he was really doing was going and going he'd go over to carrie and be like cool uh i got your tickets to whatever i've arranged your hotel in the next city we'll go there and cool and then he'd go check on the kids that were like where's mom We'll write her a letter write mom a letter she'll she'll i'll be sure to give it to her she's gonna meet you in to run. it's gonna be everything's gonna be fine, going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> just it's gonna be, be fine, and you know, you Uncle think, Holmes has got you
0: right. And you think normal people would be so flustered trying to keep it all straight, but for him, it was probably it was, thrilling, it was yes, a, a very exciting. It kept him, yes, you like know, for entertained him, for him. This was a comedy, this yeah. was
1: like, this was yeah, this was thrilling because he didn't have to do it this way, no. Um, it's, he it just seems thought-
0: absurd, but it was. It's about the excitement. Exactly. Yeah. And so
1: he had all these fucking plates spinning. And uh, I, it was just fucking ridiculous. Now, the Paitzle children spent their days locked in hotel rooms, writing letters to Carrie and wondering why their mom wouldn't write back. Holmes, of course, never mailed their correspondences. As the weather turned, handed
0: cold, them directly to her.
1: Ever, yeah. <laughs> and as the weather turned cold, Holmes kind of scoffed at the idea of buying the three ragamuffins winter clothing and decided it was time to be rid of them. Uh, cause he, the trail was cold enough, you know, literally that he could just be like, ah, no one's going to care. Howard, the little boy was the first to go oh. on the pretext of taking him to live with cousin Nanny, who of course was dead. Um, Holmes separated him from his sisters, rented a secluded house in a seedy part of town, suffocated the boy with chloroform and dismembered his body with surgical instruments purchased oh for God. the occasion. Holmes then burned the remains in a stove. All that was left of little Howard were some teeth and fragments of bone.
0: Oh, my God.
1: In Toronto, Holmes stuffed Alice and Nellie into a steamer trunk outfitted with a hole through which he could run a tube connected to the gas jets. Once the girls were suffocated, he carted them via the trunk to another secluded rental house and buried them in the cellar, brazenly borrowing a neighbor's shovel to do it with, saying, he's like, I want to bury some potatoes. (laughs) And the neighbor was like, sure, okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Whatever. And, um... Later when their bodies were found, uh, because little Nellie had a club foot that was an identifying Mm. mark, uh, Holmes amputated her feet at the ankles to thwart identification. Wow. Um, so well on his way to wiping out the whole Peitzel family, Holmes was ultimately undone by the man he tried so hard to impress back in St. Louis, Marion Hedgebeth, a.k.a. The Handsome Bandit. The hardened outlaw was miffed at the $500 cut he never received for his role in the insurance scam and ratted Holmes out as part of a plea bargain. Uh, See, while, while sitting in his cell uh, one day, he'd read in the papers about Peitzel's death in Philadelphia, put two and two together and was like, that motherfucker. I never got $500 for putting him in in, in touch with the lawyer that was going to help them out with this fucking scheme. Hey, guard, come here. And he started telling the guard. The guard told the authorities that he came before a judge, and as part of a plea deal, he ratted out homes, but for insurance. Well, so then... Holmes's name and all these other things, all these creditors from, from St. Louis and from fucking Chicago and from Fort Worth were like that motherfucker. So then the Pinkertons were called in. Right. And this was a time when the Pinkertons were the only real detective agency that had the network of right. informants and officers that they did. So they could cross state lines, they could go anywhere, do anything. Mm-hmm. They were fucking terrifying if you were a criminal. The last right. people you wanted on your trail was the Pinkertons because they always fucking got you. Yeah, like, they were what's just the, so incredibly is organized.
0: The um with the oh gosh I'm gonna sit here and think and be like oh the one with the bit and the bell ba- and the but so it's <laughs> god can just edit my thinking it's gonna out, come not. to you in the, in the um, night um oh it's the one with the woman and uh and she's a little crazy and um Frankenstein and like all the oh, different uh, um, uh, Penny, Penny Dreadful. Dreadful. Penny Dreadful. <laughs> it's like Penny Dreadful. The Pinkertons are in Penny, yes, Penny Dreadful yes. and, uh, and like they were terrifying. It was like they were almost the bad guys. That's how I I mean, they were so
1: like they, they're yeah. they they're the stuff of like, I could do a whole episode about them. Yeah. Uh, and I might one day, even though it's. Well, not- they're
0: basically. Uh, for a fee, they'll find whoever you want. Yeah. It didn't have to be law enforcement. It was, oh, yeah. if you pay the right price, mm-hmm. they'll bring you mm-hmm. whomever you want.
1: Yeah. They were the, they were the original, um they, the original private eyes. In fact, the mm-hmm. word, uh the word private eye came from their lexicon because they could tell, they considered themselves, the organization referred to themselves as the all seeing eye. Right. Yeah. Um, so the insurance company hired the Pinkerton detective agency to track Holmes down. Uh, a detective named Frank Geyer tirelessly followed the mastermind's complex trail for over six months, seeing past the deception and the false leads. Finally, on November 17th, 1894, H.H. Holmes was arrested in Boston on charges of insurance fraud. Once in custody, his schemes unraveled one by one until at last the worst of them came to light and authorities launched a proper murder investigation. Mm. Um they, you know, went back to the castle and they found all this evidence. They found the safe with the acid footprint on the inside of it. They found bones in the cellar, then the dungeon and all this other shit. And they were like, okay, clearly some people met their, their end here. Um, when Carrie Peitzel visited Holmes in prison, he maintained his innocence to claiming loudly that the body in the patent office wasn't her husband, but a cadaver as originally planned. And that Benjamin along with the kids were alive and well out of the country. When, however, the bodies of Alice and Nellie and Howard—or at least what was left of Howard—were found,
0: Mm. um,
1: poor Carrie, all of them, like all poor fucking all of them, Holmes like backpedaled and was like, "Okay, I—they're dead, but I didn't do it." Minnie did it. Remember the failed actress from Boston? Right. And so, The dead one. The dead one that yeah. he killed. And so he tried to blame Minnie on it, saying like, yeah, I she, they died in her care. Like I gave them to Minnie and, Minnie and Nanny and I guess they killed them. That's what's happened. And then they found their remains yeah. and the police were like, okay, there, they're, we have to kind of eliminate them as suspects. Right, so who
0: killed them? And we'll go find their bodies. Right, and he
1: sort of played this thing was like, well, it must have been so-and-so. we <laughs> like, well, they're dead too. <laughs>
0: so he yeah. like just
1: like, he kept, it was like playing Clue. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Uh, so when a story the fell apart, was
0: always H.H. Holmes, <laughs>
1: right? Always, well, wherever or, or Mudgett—that's like his real right. name, yeah. Uh, if you'll recall, so um, when the story fell apart, authorities finally took a closer look at the now abandoned castle in Englewood. Uh, The evidence there sealed his fate. While only convicted uh, for four murders officially, he confessed to 27. Wow. Uh, um, At one time as many as 30, but 27 was the, the most consistent number. He penned a memoir maintaining his innocence before the Peitzel children were found. Um, once that cat was out of the bag, however, he fessed up and insisted he'd been possessed by the devil, saying, mm. Quote, I was born with a devil in me. I could not help the fact that I was a murderer no more than the poet can help the inspiration to sing. I was born with the evil one standing as my sponsor beside the bed where I was ushered into the world. And he's been with me since. Now, this is where his story gets like questionable because he started saying like oh he he would i've killed hundreds of people whatever mm-hmm. but this was the age of what they call yellow journalism where mm-hmm. everything was tabloid and exaggerated and it was like oh just unlike anyways. now totally different, different than that yeah
0: right.
1: <laughs> and uh <laughs> it's the edge of yeah uh so it's there is some and especially with a more recent book written by adam seltzer h.h H. holmes the true story of the white city devil had there's, there is some evidence to suggest that, like, his killing of the Peitzel children and, and of the women that he married uh and, or loved and 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 then murdered, what if that happened? But the extent to which the murder castle was a murder castle and not just the location where he happened to kill a couple of women that he was trying to get rid of uh, for, for whatever fucking crazy reasons. Like, there's some evidence to suggest that all that story was blown out of proportion, that the murder castle right. was not a fucking factory of murder, that he killed only three or four people there. Only three. Oh Yeah, I mean, he's still a fucking evil son right. of a bitch who did these things, but, you know, it's probably he only killed, like, maybe nine people, I think, is the final count. That, like, that's... Total. Total. Most of them women that he had romanced and then gotten bored with, and then, of course, the Pitzel children, because he was like, eh, they're a liability. Right. Um... And that book's really interesting. It kind of goes into... This is the, the Adam Seltzer book. Goes into a lot of detail about how the Holmes story emerged as the legend it became. Mm-hmm. And he's like, there is a lot of truth to it. But it's so hard to separate fact from fiction. Because so much of what we know of the story came from Holmes himself. Once he decided, well, I kind of like playing the role of the villain. Now right. that everyone thinks I'm this bad guy, I might as well just fucking give him a bad guy. Yeah. And so he starts saying, yeah, I murdered people in that castle and whatever. It became thrilling.
0: But, he's got to make it thrilling. But
1: before he started doing that... You know, there's somewhere it's it's like before that he said he was innocent and he was like, no, I didn't do it. You know, I then he's like, well, okay, I did that, but I only killed a couple of people. All these other people are saying I killed. Those are the bones and the bones in the cellar that you found were like just there. Uh, because I was, I, I stole bodies and I was, you know, from the morgue and I was going to sell them to medical uh, supply companies. What are this? that's what I do. That was part of my scam I and mean, that's illegal, but I didn't murder those bodies. Um, and then police would be like, but you murder these other people. So why would you go to the trouble of digging up a grave and you just murder people, especially right here? And then he would say, well, they like, well, what, what about all these secret panels and hallways and stuff like that? And he would be like, that's just where I hid stuff from creditors that would come <laughs> looking for shit. And there is some, validity to that because when they looked at the castle they did find a lot of fucking ill like stuff that he bought and never paid for uh hiding in secret panels and that was that may have been part of the murder castle but knowing how many plates holmes was capable of spinning there's no reason to assume he wouldn't look at the expense of building a murder castle and be like well i can't just be for murder let me let me do it for let's just let it just be an empire a little uh you know the empire seat of crime yeah um Either way, he was his trial was sensational and and mm-hmm. whatever he he was convicted and did a stint in prison for a couple of years before he was finally hanged.
0: Thank you on May
1: seventh, eighteen ninety six. Interestingly enough, ninety six interesting. Uh, yeah he uh, his neck didn't snap the way it did. Mostly he strangled to death slowly over fifteen minutes. That was done on purpose. On. You can't yeah. tell me that wasn't. May have been may the have people been. who
0: the people who were in charge of he the hangings
1: was hated. were Yeah, the people um, who were in
0: charge of hangings were hired because they knew the science behind the yeah. neck snap and making sure that well, that. And, person, the, and this was
1: a technology that had been, been used for hundreds, hundreds of years.
0: Hundreds of years. If somebody, especially somebody that high profile,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it wouldn't have been like a first timer. Whoever did no, that did no. it on purpose.
1: Yeah, I was probably
0: paid very well to do it. I
1: hope they were. Because there's some justice in this guy that killed these children and suffocated them and all that. Like there's some justice in him meeting a similar fate. If only he could have experienced it nine times.
0: In my movie. Are you ready?
1: I'm so ready.
0: The hanging happens. But all of, as it's happening, he sees all of the spirits of the people he's killed. Mm -hmm. And they all come up and hold him up. When the door drops and keep and slowly let him down, Ooh. so that the next snapping will happen, and then they just watch him as he.
1: I goes. bet he died with a boner. Gross. Just the happened. kind. Of, that's just, just so exciting. It's so
0: exciting. I,
1: this is just the kind of fucking creep he was. Yeah, for real. Um, So yeah, he died on May seventh, eighteen ninety-six.
0: I bet he died with a boner. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, An unknown arson burned a large part of the castle in 1895. Um, A post office now stands on the old spot. Ghost tours of the basement are available and regularly given by appointment. Some people do claim uh, to see things there, but there's nothing terribly substantial. Like nothing. Like there's there's nothing that it's all just kind of stories to people going. Yeah, we were there and I felt chill and whatever. I'm like, hey, I'm sure the energy is very fucked up there. Um, yeah, but one last detail that I thought was gruesome and and a good way to end the story was during their investigation, police interviewed the castle groundskeeper, a man named Quinlan. When asked about the goings on in the Inglewood House of Horrors during his tenure, the man told them that his dapper employer simply forbade him from ever cleaning the third floor. That he knew nothing. Years after Holmes's conviction, um, and and execution, Quinlan committed suicide by drinking strychnine. The note he left was only one line: "quote I couldn't sleep." Whoa! And that,
0: uh, oh, that's creepy. Is the
1: story of H. H. Holmes,
0: very well done,
1: Mister Mudget, the son of a bitch who a made a, a lot, a lot of ghosts.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great story.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Man. Ooh, I
1: highly you. recommend any of you guys check out those books I mentioned and the, the last podcast on the left. They're just awesome anyway. Like they're right. really loud and funny. Mm-hmm. But so if you like loud and funny and gruesome, shh, check them out. They're Done. fucking, they're flawless. Yeah, they are great. Yeah. They're great.
0: Um, well, my story is also a, a, a crime story. <gasps> yes. But before we do that, I need another beverage. Yes. And also to beef. Yes. All right. Are you ready?
1: I'm so ready. I'm so ready. I'm just so, so glad to get H.H. Holmes off my chest. <laughs> I now want to hear about someone else's disaster, tragedy, crime, whatever. Right.
0: Okay. So this is a story of the Greenbrier ghost.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So,
0: of course, Wikipedia. Thank you. Hollowhill.com, Prayer Ghosts oh, is always good. Mm. Writings by Katie Letcher-Lyle and MurderbyGaslight.com, which is a good uh, crime one. Murder okay.
1: by Gaslight. Oh, I have to yes, check yes. that out.
0: Um, Elva Zona Heaster was known as Zony in some accounts, but we're going to stick with Zona because I prefer Zona. I and like Zona. I'm the one telling the story.
1: So <laughs> I'm sure she would appreciate being I had Zona. originally done
0: it as Zony. It just doesn't, I don't know, It is right. like
1: uh, To modern ears, Zony just sounds just weird.
0: Like, why would you do Zony instead of Zona? It doesn't make it any shorter.
1: Yeah, Zoni. So, it may have been a dialect thing too. It could have
0: been. It could have been. Yeah. This is an, this is an Appalachian
1: yeah. story. Zona.
0: Yes. <laughs> okay. So Zona was born in Greenbrier County, West Virginia, probably in 1873. Mm, mm. The census had her listed as seven years old in 1880. So that's the general accepted year. However, and spoiler alert, she does die. Uh, <laughs> you mean
1: she's not still around she's not um <laughs> i do know this story actually right. i know i know a, of, of it, it. Yeah.
0: yeah her obituary and tombstone have her birth year listed as 1876 uh, but it's generally accepted that she was uh born in 1873 but mm. years and stuff is very they just weren't as specific back then so oh they
1: weren't i mean there was no there's no point to be
0: right back right
1: then right.
0: Uh, so thanks to this kind of record keeping, there's not much information available about her early life, but we do know that she was raised near Richlands, West Virginia, was one of nine children, and she was considered one of the most beautiful women in the county. She was, she was very popular, very well liked in the county. People knew who she was. And her first boyfriend was a man named Albert Carr, who later married twice and named his two daughters Elva and Zora. So he apparently still had her on his heart, so sad. Um, And sweet, I guess. So on November 29th, 1895, Zona gave birth to a little boy. The father was George Waldridge. Ancestry.com has them listed as married but that may or may not be accurate. George was an unskilled laborer and the child is listed as infant boy Heaster, not Waldridge. So it's hard to know what the mm. truth is behind that particular story. She may have had the child out of wedlock, but the family told people she'd been married to save face. And yeah. so in some stories, it says she was married to him. Um, and some it doesn't. And uh, there's really no trace of him afterwards. So either way, in 1896, Zona met a man named Erasmus Stribling Trout Shoe.
1: <laughs> Trout it? Shoe just Trout sounds shoe. like a Dr. Yeah. Seuss book.
0: Uh, he was known as Edward and Trout. He hmm. told them his name was Edward. Um, nickname was Trout. But we're just going to call him Shoe because why not? He was <laughs> <because>
1: <laughs> Also, fuck him. I know where the story's going. I'm telling the story. <laughs> Sorry. <I'm> just... <laughs> we're not going to
0: use his first name because... Yeah. He was 12 years her senior. Shu had just moved to Greenbrier County in search of a new life working as a blacksmith. After meeting not long after his arrival, Zona and Shu married within weeks, despite objection to the match by Zona's mother, Mary Jane Heaster, who by some accounts was uneasy about the match. Other accounts say Mary had taken an instant dislike to Shu. But the two were desperately in love, so on October 20th, of the same year, they got hitched and began their new life together. One wonders if she indeed had given birth out of wedlock with the prospect of getting married to a virtual stranger with a job was mm-hmm. preferred to never getting married at all. However, he was known as a very handsome, charismatic, dashing man. Mm. So most likely she completely fell for him.
1: Right, and yeah. blacksmith. is just, yeah. just hot, that's just yes. hot.
0: and that's a picture of them. Which I'll put on the Instagram. He's a trap. I
1: mean, he a good looking dude. He was a good looking again, dude. I'd, good looking dude. I'd, I'd
0: hit it. Yeah. Three months later, on January twenty third, eighteen ninety seven, um, Shu sent Andy Jones, an eleven year old neighbor boy who did chores for Zona, to their log house on an errand. Andy found Zona's lifely, lifeless body lying at the foot of the stairs, stretched out with her feet together and one hand on her stomach. The boy ran to tell his mother and then went to the blacksmith shop to tell Shu what had happened. Shu appeared naturally devastated and headed to his house immediately. Either Andy's mother or Shu summoned the local doctor and coroner, George W. Knapp, who took about an hour to arrive. Mm -hmm. By the time Knapp had gotten there, Shu had carried his his wife's body upstairs to the bedroom, changed her clothes, and laid her out on the bed. He prepared her body for burial, placing a brightly colored scarf around her neck that he said was her favorite. Mm. When mm. the doctor entered the room, she was, by all accounts, a mess. He refused to leave his wife's side and cradled her head throughout the doctor's examination. A lot of articles state that the doctor had said Zona died of everlasting faint.
1: Yeah, everlasting or, faint, which is like...
0: And, and pregnancy. So just being a woman...
1: Everlasting faints—what they used to call heart attacks, heart attacks, or heart failure—it was like a very catch-all, like everlasting faint.
0: Everlasting faint, yeah, that's eighteen nineties for a heart attack, (laughs) especially for a woman. Mm -hmm. You know, it was much more delicate to call it an everlasting faint. Um, Another account, and the one that seems more likely to me, is that the doctor, who only did a cursory examination due to shoes distress, he Mm -hmm. didn't want to upset the poor man more. Mm -hmm. uh, He decided that Zona had fainted at the top of the stairs and had fallen down them. There was blood found near her body, and it was later assumed she had been pregnant at the time of her death. If she knew she was pregnant, though, she had told no one. On January 30th, so a week or so later, yeah. Knapp wrote on the death record that she had died of childbirth.
1: Which is fucking... Make up your it's mind now. weird. Make up your mind. Yeah. Was it true. everlasting faint? Was it...
0: Childbirth, which, what... Did she have a heart attack and then have a baby that no one knew about? Like, what happened?
1: Yeah, and, where, and where'd the child go? Yeah. It
0: seemed like... The idea was that she had fallen down the stairs somehow. Right. Um, Zona's body was taken 14 miles across the valley to her childhood home on Little Sewell Mountain and buried three days later. Some accounts say she was buried the day after she died, but considering she had a wake, that's Mm. not likely. Mm. And really quickly, a lot of people wonder about her little boy, Infant Heaster. Yeah. What happened to him? And the fact of the matter is nobody fucking knows. There is no trace of the boy or his father after Zona gave birth. If the boy died in infancy, which wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world, he probably would have been buried in an unmarked grave. Yeah. If he was still alive when she died, he most likely was raised by relatives. But people have searched the censuses and family trees, and so far, it seems no one can find what happened to him. Wow. There is no mention of him in her obituary either.
1: When it was out there somewhere. I mean, because, and my mother will tell you, from having done uh, genealogical research, there's some people just slipped through the cracks entirely, especially in in places like Appalachia and Uh in that area. Like, it was very easy to disappear. Because also, bear in mind, the census is only ever done like once a decade or more. Right. And, and the
0: 1921 census was burnt and, you know, it, that yeah. got lost to fire. Yeah.
1: And so, and, and this is, I mean, it's still the case where like census takers have to go to people's homes and mm-hmm. interview them. And so And in like, the country, the houses country. would get
0: missed. And so, yeah, there's a lot of-
1: So it's easy to yeah. disappear. It's easy to not be on record, especially in that time, depending on- where mm-hmm. you are, and he may have been raised by people who gave him their name and who just never right. told him because they didn't because want to, they didn't want him yeah. to be involved in all that or know that you know. I mean, because it was, it was a thing I could see, especially even now. I think you know, parents or foster parents, whatever, would would not want their child to know that their parents had been murdered, right? Um, because they just don't. I mean, you know, yeah. I I could right. see them just like, no, he doesn't need to know that. Just we'll let him know that his mother died of a heart mm-hmm. attack right. or right or something like or, that. Or I mean, but, at
0: a heart attack at twenty four. Yeah. Right. So that's young to have a heart attack. So, you know, you never know. You never know. And especially knowing the rest of the story. I tend to believe he probably uh, died fairly soon after birth because he's listed as infant Heaster. It's not, he wasn't given a name. And that seems odd to me.
1: Maybe that's, that is possible. But it's also possible that, um, that he was just given away to another family, and so they mm-hmm. never gave him a name because they're like, "Well, you're, it's never going to be your kid, so just right. don't." Like maybe to to help,
0: yeah, maybe. to help to help
1: her let go of the child. They Maybe I mean, who who, who knows? knows? There's no telling. You know, and there's maybe no telling. maybe the child was stillborn. Maybe he was yeah, born. Exactly. I mean, who knows?
0: And yeah, um, well, back then too. There's yeah. So anyway, speaking of the obituary, I found hers in the Greenbrier Independent newspaper that ran on January twenty eighth, eighteen ninety seven. Mrs. EZ Shu, wife of ES Shu, died at her home in the Richlands, this county, on Sunday last, the 24th, aged 22 years. So they have her listed.
1: Man, they just fucking everything. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Mrs. Shu was a daughter of Mr. Hedges Heaster of Meadow Bluff District. Mr. Shu formerly lived in Pocahontas County. That's it.
1: That's all they say. So
0: she's this young woman dies suddenly, and that's all that the paper says. And it's, and again, there's no mention of a son, no mention of her being missed. It's very bland considering some of the other obituaries released the same day in the same paper. For example, Mrs. Lynch, wife of Mr. Lewis Lynch, died of consumption at her home near Lowry's Mill, this county on the 20th, aged about 40 years. She leaves a husband and eight children from one to 13 years old. None but those who have passed through the Yale can realize the sad bereavement. Most of the obituaries have that kind of feel. There's something. And her's just like, hey, this
1: woman died and her husband lives here.
0: Yeah. They were were a beloved member of the community. They will be missed. Something that makes their obituary personal. Um, On a side note, this was my personal favorite because these old obituaries give so much detail sometimes.
1: Oh, they're perfectly gossip columns. So
0: here's one that I couldn't not share. Oh, please. W.M. Davis, son of A.L. Davis of Hinton, was run over by a train and killed on the 17th near Hinton. He was very drunk and sat down on the track. (laughs) Two women who were with him attempted to pull him off when they saw the train coming, but were unable to do so. And that's his obituary. He,
1: he survived by everyone on that fucking train <laughs> yeah. and the two women. Right. He was very drunk. <laughs> the, local, the local saloon keeper says he will be sorely right, missed. Right, right. Like and that. So it's
0: a lot. They usually gave a lot of information at the time. And I mean, to well, be because honest. Because
1: for like little papers like that. and I grew up in a small town as yes. to you. So little papers, man, they do everything to like dramatize anything that happens because mm-hmm. there's not a fucking lot to write right, about. Right, So if someone's died, it's like, I mean, and my mother will tell you, as my grandmother before her, the first place they go in the newspaper, if there's nothing on the front page, is, is the obituaries. Like, right. who died? Yes. You know, who died yes. and how. Yeah. And and there's and you know, and, and the language has had to change and get a little mm-hmm. more conservative over the years because there's fear of of you know people of lawsuits from insensitivity or whatever. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, they'd be like, "Yeah, let's just people want to know." Tell Obituaries them. were mainly there to just let people know, like this person died, y'all. Let me tell you,
0: right. And how. when you know that she was well loved in the community, they they liked her. She was loved by
1: everybody, and she yeah. had a history, like she'd already there'd already been drama in her life, right? Because of the this mysterious child, right. um, With this mysterious guy, that and just even fell off the face of the earth, and if everybody didn't know
0: that they still knew who she was, and you yeah, know what I mean. So but they would have
1: known that in a small yeah. town like that, they would yeah, have known that. So the fact that they, they wouldn't have
0: necessarily put it in the newspaper. They might but have. something, uh, you know, that she'll be missed or something. of a sudden. I can't
1: imagine that some reporter, I can't imagine that some reporter wouldn't have like dug into that story and been like, she survived by, we think, a child that right. we know she had. And somebody, I mean, and if she died mysteriously, why wouldn't they be like, well, why is no one asking questions about well, what happened to her first?
0: Or died suddenly. Died even suddenly? It's, it's, it's just that.
1: weird that they left it alone.
0: Right, right. It's exactly. weird that they
1: left it alone, that there was no one there. Is being it something
0: like, that he wrote? them to say mm-hmm. or you know what i mean it's it's very strange um especially considering she was so young you know there's another couple of them that are kind of bland in the same way as hers mm-hmm. but they were older and seemed to have died by themselves and so they were probably
1: there's not a lot of not drama a lot to of it. Drama, you know.
0: not a, or maybe just not a lot of people around them maybe they were isolated they didn't know you know they were yeah, there wasn't
1: that much information they you know, had maybe
0: right so Hold you would, would think it would, I'd, I just think it would be bigger news, you know. Uh, it's more devastating than that. It does seem odd. What one of the other minimal, uh, because here's the thing when we go into these rabbit holes of history, especially when you're looking at an old newspaper, you'll see something and go, <laughs> So, <laughs> you know, for me in this story, there are two family names, um, hester which can be tracked back to Hester, which is a family name, right? And right. Shu, which mm. is a spelled different version of Shu, and I've I found out that those spellings are from different, like one's German, one's more Celtic. Mm. So, okay, great. (laughs) That's not the same name, but Hester is definitely uh, part of Hester, which was very strange. So there's that. And then the other thing, when I was looking at this paper on the same page, there was somebody talking about doing um, a... Uh, Helping raise money to help one of the cemeteries in town Mm -hmm. get cleaned up, and the name of that cemetery is the same name as the funeral home that took care of my grandparents and my father's funerals. So it was just very strange, and that's the Hester, the Hester side. So it was just very, very,
1: and there may be a connection there. It was coincidental, and
0: I was like, it just made me feel like I should be doing this story. Zona wants
1: her her story told.
0: That's right. That's right. Uh, But.
1: Because God knows the obituary fucked it up.
0: Oh, that's right. This obituary, though, is also something that struck me. It made me go, you okay. know, tilt <laughs> my head like our dogs Ooh. do. Um, Mrs. Livesay, wife of David Livesay, formerly of Greenbrier, died in the hospital at Weston, of which institution she had been an inmate for many years. Her remains were brought to Greenbrier and were laid to rest in the Lifesay burying grounds. Mm. So the hospital at Weston, and she mm. was an inmate there,
1: For years.
0: Caught my attention. Hospital Weston, also known as the Weston State Hospital, as well as the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane. The booby hats. Yeah. The fact, first of all, the fact that she was even mentioned in the paper is a huge deal because that's where they sent people to forget about them. To be
1: disappeared. Yeah. That's where they vanished. Yes.
0: Now, obviously, I dove down and I went fast. I went deep. Went <laughs> I mean, it's an 1800s <laughs> mental asylum. What am I going to do? I mean, not be like, well, let's just look at that a little bit. Let's just take
1: a quick detour I here. Not just and look
0: at it. And this is just it. some
1: random person whose obituary was in the paper the same day as. Yeah, I was looking at through those. all of the obituaries because I couldn't <laughs> help myself.
0: So here are a few fun facts. Just since we visited a little bit, there's just a few fun facts okay, about uh, Western Western State Hospital. It was built in 1859 as an insane asylum. And was also West Virginia's very first public building.
1: It actually (laughs) stayed
0: a mental hospital until it was closed in 1994. Damn! Yes. And it started to kind of lose its, you know vigor in the 80s when they were like maybe we should stop treating people like this <laughs> and yeah so, it's
1: really what was it Geraldo that came out with his expose of, right. of uh, one of sanatorium was it I think it was in Jersey yeah something. Like uh,
0: that. and it was just
1: fucking awful right it was just awful right awful
0: and so they you know the times had they they were a change in and so it mm. closed in 1994 and after that pretty much sat vacant sometimes they would look like rented out to places for parties or conventions or whatever. It was real weird. <laughs> but a night 19- I know. I it? know. Who does that? Who well, uh, yeah. In 1999, all four floors of the interior of the building were damaged by a massive paintball game <laughs> between several city and county Police officers.
1: <laughs> I love this. I love this weird little. I know. Sideways. I, how did story. I not? How
0: do I not share that shit? That's amazing. Three of those police officers, by the way, were dismissed for the, the paintball
1: game that they had. In that this. literally brought down the building.
0: It it didn't bring it down. It's still there.
1: It's still there. Okay. But it damaged it, right? It damaged
0: all the interiors, paintballs. They were shooting each other with paintballs inside this public building. Like, what? It was abandoned, but still, what the fuck were they thinking?
1: So <laughs> that's almost that's, like if they just given the inmates paintball guns back in the day. And it was in
0: 1999, paintball was everything. Oh my
1: god, <laughs> you know? yes. People took that fucking hobby so <laughs> goddamn seriously. Yeah.
0: yeah. So the building is 242,000 square feet.
1: Okay.
0: Huge. And it was purchased in 2007. And the owners are now offering tours seven days a week, including haunted tours on Friday nights and overnight stays on Saturdays.
1: If you listen closely on this particular night of the year, you can hear the deaths of those three policemen's careers. <laughs> By paintball. Why did you get fired? Did you,
0: was it something, did you break a law? Were you, no, we had my a paintball game. My gun went game. off. It was, it was
1: an accident. What, God, well, my paintball, paintball. gun. <laughs> Stage
0: an epic paintball. I mean, work. that
1: seems excessive. i bet firing them over that. I
0: bet it was fun as hell, though. Had it done it? Yeah.
1: Especially back then, because again, paintball's all the rage.
0: So that's that little detour.
1: <laughs> Thank you for taking that. Mm-hmm. So, so I just want to just to recap. <laughs> <laughs> our our friend Zona, who's uh-huh. possibly relative, uh, died um, under very mysterious circumstances. It, but and her obituary is not half as ornate as one involving a woman who died in a mental institution that survived as a mental institution for over a century until it was damaged. <laughs> <laughs> Until it was closed down in 94 and then uh, a damaged bunch of and by damaged by a, paint, uh, by a paintball fight in between 99. policemen in 99.
0: And then bought in 2007. And now you can go on a haunted tour. Okay. So <laughs> back it's to Zona. It's an
1: exciting time to be alive.
0: Right. So <laughs> back to Zona, or rather back to her mother, mm. Mary Jane Heaster. Mm. Mary became convinced that her son in law had murdered her daughter. I think we are all already convinced of that. He was acting well, weird.
1: Doesn't every mother think that? Like, right.
0: Right. And if she didn't My like him anyway.
1: Son-in-law. After no, she the, didn't like she he didn't like she didn't like them getting married anyway, right? No,
0: yeah, no. It seems that that's the general consensus. After the wake, she removed the sheet from inside the coffin, which we'll get to in a second, and tried to return it to him, but he didn't want it. She noticed an odd odor about it, so she took it home and washed it. According to Mary, when she dropped the sheet into the basin, the water turned red. The sheet oh. the sheet then turned pink and the water cleared. After that, the stain could not be removed, which Mary interpreted as a sign that Zona had been murdered. She began to pray every night for Zona to return to her and explain what had happened. After four weeks, Mary's prayers were answered. For four nights in a row, Zona appeared to Mary. And from what Mary said, she told neighbors, she told other people Mm. that Zona was appearing to her. She appeared as flesh and blood, not a ghost not your I, the idea of a ghost. Right. It was just she was there standing next to her bed. And Zona told her mother that she had been very abusive and cruel to her. The night she died, he had attacked her in a fit of rage because he thought she didn't cook meat for dinner. He had savagely broken her neck and thrown her down the stairs. Oh. As she left her mother's bedside, Zona demonstrated the damage to her neck by rotating her head in a complete circle. Ooh. Mary, <laughs> it so... It makes me think of an owl. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, after those four nights in a row, Mary and her brother-in-law, Johnson Hester went to Lewisburg prosecutor, John A. Preston, who first disbelieved the story. However, after several hours of questioning, Preston became convinced that there was a basis for an investigation. We don't know whether or not he was reacting to the ghost story or he was to the rumblings about town that Zona had been murdered, but he did dispatch several deputies to re-interview several people of interest to the case.
1: Well, and all I had to do was interview the coroner and be like, you didn't fucking do basic fucking... You didn't... You had one job. One job. One job. job. And you put childbirth as the cause of death. But she was a woman. (laughs) God, I
0: remember in college, (laughs) anytime you were sick and you went to Goddard the it it was like a joke if you were a woman you had to go in and be like I'm not pregnant because no matter what if you had a cold are you pregnant that was what it's like what they said every single time you sure you're not pregnant it was like you were shamed for possibly being pregnant just for going in it's
1: like Jesus
0: fucking get off my nuts wait a way to incentivize me
1: to take care of my health by doing regular doctor visits yeah Jesus Christ
0: um so it was I mean I think I even went to the dentist and they were like are you pregnant um, so <laughs> here's, is okay, here's what they found ugh. out. Okay. Neighbors said that Shu had behaved rather strangely during the wake. His grief changed from overwhelming sadness to this incredible energy. He never left the side of the coffin and would not let anyone get too close mm, to the body. Mm, mm. The sheet that Mary had taken from that coffin, Shu had rolled it up and placed it on the side of Zona's head and put a pillow on the other side. According to him, it was to help her rest easier. When they moved the coffin to the cemetery after the wake, though, some noticed a strange looseness to her head. A bruise on her right cheek had also been seen. Mm. Preston, the prosecutor, interviewed Dr. Knapp himself, and Knapp admitted that his examination had been incomplete, but that he had seen bruises on her neck. Mm. They also found out that Shu had been looking for a new life for a very good reason. Turns out he had been married at least twice before he married Zona. Oh, shit. In 1885, he married Ellen Cutlip, and in 1887, they had a daughter, Goethe Lucretia. Shu reportedly beat his wife so badly that a group of vigilantes dragged him out of bed one winter night and threw him through the ice in the Greenbrier River. <laughs> It is unclear whether this incident occurred before or after the birth of their daughter, but the marriage ended in divorce four years later, while Shu was in the state pen serving time for horse stealing. <laughs> wow! All the connections. I know. I had no idea.
1: I didn't. I didn't know this. These details are yes. completely new to me.
0: Yeah. So <sighs> uh, the divorce on the divorce decree cruelty was cited as the reason. Oof.
1: Yeah. And this was back then. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, where the definition of cruelty as defined by men, right. as pertaining to the treatment of women, was pretty fucking yeah. not exactly enlightened, shall we right. say.
0: And so then to realize, you know, especially with H.H. Holmes couldn't get the divorce agreed to. Yeah. This one was. Yeah. Yeah. So, Oof, right. God, uh, what in, a brutal In son June of, a bitch. of 1894. Shu married again, this time to Lucy Ann Tritt from nearby Alderson. They lived with his parents on Droop Mountain near Hillsborough, where Lucy died less than eight months later. There was no investigation, and the Pocahontas Times stated only that she died suddenly. After Zona's death, though, multiple stories regarding Lucy's death began circulating. The most common one was that she had died when a brick fell on her head. Whoa! The assumption was that Shu was holding oh. the brick while it fell, quote, fell.
1: Okay, well, I, I want I to just point out to our listeners that we did not know these details. No, th- the that con- We didn't know the these details would be, would be cross-related in um, our stories. We have no idea. No idea. That's, oh,
0: that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, no matter the version of the story told, most of Shu's neighbors did believe he had killed Lucy. Mm. He may have even been married a third or fourth time. Records aren't very clear, and names being changed from nicknames to given names make it more confusing. He was definitely married twice, though, and apparently he had at some point said he had a goal of marrying seven times. Zona could have possibly been his fifth wife.
1: Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. After all this information came out, Preston decided, yeah, there's enough. Evidence, we probably you ought to get, a, a, you have get an official autopsy you on should, her. Uh, her up. So, Zona's body was exhumed on February 22nd, 1897, in the local one room schoolhouse. So, it's about a month after she died. Yeah. Shu had, of course, vigorously complained about this turn, events, turn of events, but he was required by law to be present for the autopsy. Three physicians participated in the autopsy that lasted three days. Wow. As, I know, as is common practice in an autopsy. They examined Zona's stomach for poison and checked other vital organs of the chest and abdomen.
1: And he had to be there for all that? What a weird law. Yeah,
0: now, some things say three physicians, some say three days. I said three physicians for three days. It could be one or the other, and people are just getting those confused. Or it could
1: be three days with three different physicians, like one physician one physician per day
0: to get three different opinions. Yeah,
1: three different. Yeah, that could be. Or
0: it could be one physician three days, or three physicians one day. (laughs) I was just
1: still wicking out the fact that that you know he had to be there for it. Yes, yeah. You got to watch. I had
0: to double check that, but yeah, he was there. You got to watch, man. Here's how we know. So. Uh, As is common practice in autopsy, they examined the, oh, I just said that, with the vital organs, chest and abdomen, working around the head and neck, the doctors began to whisper. One of the doctors turned to Shu and said, well, Shu, we have found your wife's neck to have been broken. Now, of course, if she had just fallen down the stairs, Hmm. fainted and fallen down the stairs, that would make sense. But the Pocahontas Times reported that on the throat were the marks of fingers indicating that she had been choking, that the neck was dislocated between the first and second vertebra. The ligaments were torn and ruptured. The windpipe had been crushed Mm. at a point in front of the neck. Shu was charged with murder and jailed in Lewisburg to await trial. While he was in jail, he said, they will not be able to prove I did it. Which is different than I did not do it.
1: Yeah, Yeah, rather different.
0: Yeah. He must have started to doubt his claim because by May 20th, he had threatened to kill himself. So
1: <laughs> I love how that's like, don't don't you dare like, execute me or I'll mm-hmm, kill myself. Mm-hmm. That's what it boils down to. Right.
0: The trial began on June 22nd, 1897 and lasted eight days. Mary Jane Heaster was Preston's star witness. He confined his questioning to the known facts of the case and did not bring up her visions of her daughter.
1: Oh, that's right, yeah, I love this, I love this detail.
0: Perhaps hoping to prove her unreliable, Shu's lawyer questioned Mrs. Heaster extensively about Zona's visits to her on cross-examination. But the tactic backfired when Mrs. Heaster would not waver in her account despite intense badgering. As the defense had introduced the issue, the judge found it difficult to instruct the jury to disregard the story of the ghost, and many people in the community seemed to believe it. It didn't help that when Shu took the stand for himself on the sixth day, he rambled on all afternoon but didn't do much more than deny everything that had been said against him. And at one point, he appealed to the jury to look into his face and then say if he was guilty. This made, according to the Greenbrier Independent Account, an unfavorable impression.
1: <laughs> After
0: one hour and ten minutes like of delivery. Looking
1: at the jury going, put him ma. Put, put him ma. I'll punch you with one hand. Right. Tell me I did it's it, like,
0: motherfucker. Tell me
1: I did it. You saw what I did to my wife. I'll do th- I right. mean, fuck.
0: I fucking dare you to tell me I did it. Uh,
1: okay, so <laughs> if you find me guilty, I'll throw you down the goddamn stairs.
0: Uh, uh shit. A- <laughs> Um, say I'm guilty. I'll crush your windpipe. (laughs) Um, so after one hour and 10 minutes of deliberation, the jury returned with a guilty verdict. The accounts in the Greenbrier Independent make clear. (laughs) An hour
1: and 15 of that was just lunch.
0: Right. (laughs) Um, so in the paper, it made clear that Shu was convicted of murder on his third wife of circumstantial evidence, not because of a ghost testimony. He was sentenced to life in state prison. Following a foiled lynching attempt a few days later, and a couple of people were sent to prison over trying to lynch him, uh, he was taken by train to the state prison in Moundsville. Life in prison was not very long because Shu died of natural causes three years later on the 1st of March, 1900.
1: Did he die of childbirth? Possibly.
0: <laughs> Everlasting faint.
1: Everlasting faint.
0: So there's a very common photo of Zona that you find when you search her name. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to put that on the Instagram. Surely I'll remember. It's this one. If you know, you know this one. I'm sure yeah, you've seen it. Yeah, yeah. So what's interesting about this picture is um, her hair is very flat. Yeah. And um, there's the scarf. You can is see that, this. Is that's this picture, scarf. Is this it's most likely a post-mortem picture.
1: Oh, man.
0: So she is wearing the scarf. That it, he dressed he her up with. It, and it's very tight.
1: It is very and tight. It's a,
0: just a very, yeah. Uh, it's, it's Yeah, her hair, her face, and her neck are very weird looking. It's Her face is very flat, so she's probably...
1: I hate to say it, it kind of looks like she's... Let's say you broke one of your mom's favorite statues and you had to glue the head back on. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah, it's a little off. Right, if something's off.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, I'll put that on there, too. But
1: Ugh, that's creepy. Those post-mortem pictures are fascinating. They really are. It was, it was really common practice to do it because yeah, getting time, a picture was, uh, it was quite an expense yes. and it took time. Right. But that's why you can often tell um, if you look at older pictures... You'll know the exposure time was so long that mm-hmm. it's why most living people look very glassy-eyed. Yes, uh, because they have to stand still for so long for the exposure that their eyes almost always move. Um, but if this is a trick, kids, if you're looking at old photographs, like you know prior to say 1910, uh, if the person whose eye, if the person's eyes are perfectly clear and staring mm-hmm. right at the camera or staring wherever, and they they're not they're they're so clear. Odds are that person's dead.
0: Yeah, the still um, the stillest person is yeah. the mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so anyway, I thought that was fascinating too. That that's the scarf that she was wearing yeah. when they took that postmortem picture. Is well, it was it was right? not
1: detailed too for have to have shoe. Um, dress her body for the funeral Uh because that was not usually done by men Uh -uh. it was usually done by female relatives Mm -hmm. or by professionals that would come in usually members of the community but almost always women or if it was a guy it might be men that dressed the body down but generally the you know a woman Mm -hmm. was not dressed for burial by her husband unless they lived alone on you know on a farm somewhere in a mountain right you know there was no one else to do it but so that was kind of weird that raised a lot of eyebrows
0: yeah Uh, Zona is now buried in Meadow Bluff, Greenbrier County, West Virginia, at the Soul Chapel Methodist Cemetery. Her grave was unmarked for more than 80 years, so that's why that discrepancy with the birth year Mm, can come mm, into place. mm. Um, so the location can't be guaranteed, but she's most likely buried in her family's plot, where, somewhere around where her tombstone is. A state highway mile marker, a few miles west of Lewisburg, not too far away from the cemetery, reads... Greenbrier ghost, interred in a nearby cemetery as Zona Heaster Shoe. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified this apparition's account. Edward, convicted of murder, was sentenced to the state prison, only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer. Of course, we know the circumstantial evidence is what convicted Shu, but it is highly likely, likely that evidence would not have been discovered had Zona not appeared to her mother. Maybe Mary came up with the story of her daughter's ghost to help draw attention to Zona's murder. Maybe. There, is that,
1: there is that possibility. Yeah,
0: maybe Zona really did appear. I tend to believe Mary's account because, number one, we host a podcast about ghosts, and <laughs> two... Mary lived until 1916, and she never once recounted her story. She always said that her daughter had appeared to her. Yeah,
1: I, you know, I I thought about that, too, when I looked into it uh, back in the day. I was like, yeah, I could see them going, like, how do mm-hmm. we get the law involved? Because yeah. we need to dig her up, and we need to get public interest. I could see them making up the story. But there's so many odd details about it. Like, why four nights in a row? Why, you know, why mm-hmm. things like that? There's details that don't seem to add anything to the story. Right. Um, you know, and and why wait so long? Yeah, you know why not? I mean, that's something. It just seems weird. I right. and I don't like it was made up because all, ultimately it's not what was needed.
0: Right. I think you know? if the
1: family would have talked, I mean, they could have been.
0: It just got the the. Because the lawyer, the prosecuting
1: attorney was interested, but he he heard the story, but he didn't believe it. But he was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about, but everything else, this coroner report, everything else, there's something there. So they didn't really need it to be a ghost story. If they just came to him with what they already had, Mm -hmm. he would have looked into it. Probably. So it doesn't seem... It's like the ghost story empowered
0: her to do something because Zona was saying, do something about it. Yeah. And so... um,
1: So I I tend to believe, I tend to believe believe as well.
0: When I told Jack about the story, uh, he sent me this Appalachian song he had seen in a book called Rage Rage Across Appalachia, which is a supplement to Werewolf of the Apocalypse. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> Hashtag nerd alert. Um, I
1: remember by white wolf games. I used to play yeah, that. Right? I, used to, I used to play that um, game back in the
0: day. Yeah. So those who don't know, Jack is an Appalachian fella. And he said the song can be found in a lot of places, but it seemed to apply here. So I'm just going to read this. Ooh. It's an Appalachian, an old Appalachian song. Don't sing love songs. You'll wake my mother. She's sleeping here right by my side. And in her right hand, a silver dagger. She says that I cannot be your bride. All men are false, says my mother. They'll tell you wicked love and lies. The very next evening, they'll court another, leave you alone to pine and sigh. My daddy is a handsome devil. He's got a chain five miles long, and on every link, a heart does dangle of another maid he's loved and wronged. Go court another tender maiden and hope that she will be your wife, for I've been warned and I've decided to sleep alone all of my life.
1: Ooh, I like it. You <laughs> I go, like, girl! I was
0: like, "Thanks, Jack. You I'm definitely reading that."
1: <laughs> you don't need no man
0: for sure. And so that is the story oh, of the Greenbrier wow. Ghost.
1: Oh, that's great! Yeah. That's great! That's so much more in depth. Yeah. Well done. There was
0: so much too when you you know once you get in, it's like I know, oh, and I do this like movie.
1: I do like the idea that there's a relationship there that you related.
0: Yeah, somewhere so, like, along somewhere, the lines. Somewhere it's Ooh. interesting. It's very oh interesting. God. Yeah. Uh, but that's great.
1: I want to do more stories about about. Like, because there, there. I know there are other stories out there about like m- murderers being brought to justice, right? From for by from their paranormal. or haunted means. by them.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. It was so good. It was so good. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh um, my god, that was great! Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thank
0: you. Yeah, um. So, this morning, mm-hmm. we went and had brunch, um, while watching scary stories. Uh, yeah. Um. To read in the dark uh, uh,
1: scary stories to tell in the dark to tell
0: in the dark yeah, yeah the uh, we went to see that this morning it's super fun, fun. it's super, super fun, fun i enjoy yeah. It. yeah i don't think it's for children
1: oh yeah i totally no. i'd let my I kids mean, see it.
0: it i would not
1: i would let my kids see it my mm-hmm. kids would probably grow up to be really twisted but yeah I'd let the them see it.
0: imagery is terrifying i mean if we let the girls see it they would have nightmares forever yeah some of it's really scary for a kid so, it's an inter- it's an intense. It's movie. definitely scarier than Goosebumps. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, it does have some some you know the jump scares weren't as crazy as I thought they would be. They didn't have as many of them. Yeah. Um.
1: And they were, but and they were well done.
0: There's some really good suspenseful moments. Yeah. That, yeah. The
1: use of sound is really good. Mm-hmm. The, the use of quiet. Yeah. Was effective. It was good, and but- I loved how they brought a lot of the uh, the classic images from those fucking. Uh,
0: terrifying, terrifying, drawings. and
1: unforgettable illustrations. Yes, you know, like they really did a good job of bringing them to life. Like yeah. Harold and, and the weird woman thing, and yeah, the, oh my the,
0: god, the, the, the skeleton toe lady. Oh my god,
1: oh, so good. She was, um, and but the, and the yeah, tighty doty walker or whatever it was oh, called. Fuck.
0: They're all just, yeah, fucking creepy. So, um, but that's what we did this morning, it was a lot of fun. <laughs>
1: nice.
0: um, anything else?
1: Yeah. I can't think of it. Yeah. I'm, um, yeah, I, I, know I'm. <laughs> that's, that's good. All right.
0: That's good. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I can't think of anything. I, all, well, I will say one, one side note when I was looking into HH Holmes, for some reason, I went down a rabbit hole and found like, you know, I was looking at ways that that hit that story, that that legend, uh, both the true parts and the maybe then the questionable parts have inspired pop culture. And have you ever heard of a movie called nothing but trouble? I think so. It's Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, Demi Moore, and uh, John Candy. It, like came out in 1990, 91, I think. And um, I had not thought about that movie in years, but I obsessed over it as a kid. I had to go review it for the paper that I that the school paper. Oh yeah. And I loved it. My dad had I had couldn't drive a car yet, so my dad um, had to drive me to see it. So we watched it together, but the only ones in the theater. I loved it the movie tanked my dad hated it and he was really <laughs> mad that i was going to give it a good review and he was like you can't get that's a horrible movie like it was weird it was so i'd never seen a movie like a mainstream movie be that fucking weird cuz it's yeah. just weird every frame is like how what who approved this mm-hmm. and it's not like i don't know how to describe it but it's it's at least in part inspired by by the the murder castle because it it's about a it's about a crazy ass yokel judge that like, you know, um, <laughs> kills traffic violators, uh, oh. you know, just for the hell of it. Cause he's like, yeah, what the hell? So they like have to come to his house, which is also the courthouse, which is also like a junkyard, which is also whatever. And, and, you know, if he doesn't like you I'm like, okay, yeah, well, thank you for the crime of running that stop sign. We're gonna execution. <laughs> and so, and then hit, hits a button and they go down a trap door or something and, right. and they die. So it's, I was watching that going, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that movie in years. So, if anyone has seen the movie Nothing But Trouble, I would love <laughs> to hear your take on it. Because it is <laughs> the most polarizing movie I think I've ever seen. Because yeah. I've seen it a dozen times. I obsessed over it as a kid because I was like, why does no one else love this movie? This is a fucking great, weird fucking movie. Have you watched it recently? Movie. Yes. And okay. I okay. still love it. Okay. It's not funny. <laughs> um, It's not funny. It's I, I do just know. weird. It's, it's just, it's creative. I think it just, the creative, um, it is like Dan Aykroyd just was like, let's just see what we can do. And he was so well liked. And apparently, I did a little research on it, and apparently everyone fucking loved working with him as director. Right. And he also plays two characters in the film, and everyone loved him. They were like, "This is the oh my god, we had such a ball working on this fucking weird ass movie." And that you know was at least partially inspired by the Murder Castle. Probably, yeah. I don't. It's never confirmed that Dan Aykroyd has never come out and said that it was. Like, I would
0: not be surprised. Inspired. But
1: I mean, there has to be because even like get us. the building kind of looks like you know what I imagine the Murder Castle looked like, right? And uh, so, uh, anyway, that was just the kind of detour I went on. I was like, oh, but I want to hear people's take on that. I watched it. I watched it with several people. And um, one person was like, that's fucking cool. That's fucking crazy. I don't yeah. know what I just watched. I loved it. And the other person was like, I'm angry at you for showing me that movie. Like, that's, I didn't even, I can't even laugh at how bad it is. Like, and it was so just too completely, re- and so I'm just really fascinated. Like, does that yeah. movie only work on some people?
0: <laughs> and am I one possible. of them? I don't know. Well, I'm glad that you liked it. At
1: least it's just weird i, I suggest you Maybe watch it. it yeah yeah, yeah. um a chevy chase is awful in it though because i hate chevy chase i, yeah, I don't like... i've never liked him very much I he's, think he's
0: got a great birthday though
1: does he <laughs> he's we such an birth. asshole to people though he's such an asshole i
0: share a birthday with him and jesse jackson
1: he's much prefer jesse jackson
0: sigourney weaver
1: much before. But, yeah, she's Weaver. the one I normally. She's say. the awesome, awesome. She's the awesome one. one. Yeah. yeah, she's such a
0: badass.
1: That's that's maybe that explains Chevy Chase's life and why he's such an asshole. Like, man, how to be compared to those people. <sighs> of course, I'm going to be the bottom <sighs> of the list. Yeah. But yeah, by all accounts, Chevy Chase is just impossible to work with and a dick. And like when he was on the set of this film, like he was getting paid three times more than Ackroyd, who was the director, writer, and playing two roles in the film. Right. And he held that over his head all the time. Like, right. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting paid, like, three times. that he would show up late and just, like, not want to do it. Like, he's such an asshole. I'm like, My. And everyone else, this is a movie that everyone else was having a fucking ball on. Because they were yeah. be like, I want to do this weird thing in this one scene. With, like, we have these weird, like, sets here. And everybody, oh, okay, we got it. Because Warner Brothers love them. they're like, here, have $40 million.
0: Jesus.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy.
0: I want Warner Brothers to love me.
1: Uh, I d- if yeah. they gave
0: me $40 million, though, I would probably not make a movie with it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well not with all of it you, not with all of it I maybe, would do a,
0: a very low budget movie
1: you can make a movie for like two million and then just keep the rest so much of it <laughs> um anyway so that but was we just, can dream
0: about that later yeah. mm, one uh, day one yeah day. <clears throat> so I guess until Thursday when we have our next ghost episode uh, thank you guys for listening and remember it's, it's okay, okay to sleep with, with the lights on. on.